So, hey, everybody, welcome to True Crime Paranormal. I'm Christy Brower here with the Wednesday update. Uh, Katie is away this week. She'll be back next week. But I am here to answer your questions and give you a bunch of information. In the last week, there has been movement on so many cases, some cases we've been covering, some cases we haven't covered because they're so famous and have been covered so many times. There's a lot of information to share. So I'm going to give you a bunch of updates tonight. I'm going to start, of course, with Chad Daybell, because, you know, we've been covering the Daybell Vallow case of the missing children, Tylee and JJ, who are now the murdered children, Tylee and JJ. So many things happening in this case. So last Friday, Chad went before the judge in district court. So you may remember that he had his uh, pretrial in uh, Fremont County Court a few weeks ago, and he was held over to district court on four felony charges. These charges are about the concealment and destruction of evidence and conspiracy to conceal and destruct evidence or conceal and destroy evidence. And unfortunately, the evidence in question is the bodies of his stepchildren, Tylee and JJ. Well, he has now been to court in district court in order to have his arraignment there. So this was a pretty um, milk toast uh, hearing, honestly, compared to some of the others we've had. There wasn't that much to share. What he did was he did plead not guilty to all four charges. And so he has been held over for trial and that trial will be in January and they've scheduled it for three weeks, which I got to tell you, at least here in Idaho is a long trial. That is a really long trial. It's very interesting. Indicates how many uh, witnesses they're going to have. It's going to take a lot of time. I'm very curious for that. They also set a pre-trial conference date in December. Now what that means is at that time, there could be a negotiated plea uh, that would keep him from going to trial. Now, I got to say, I think it's unlikely that he's going to plead. I, I do feel like he's probably going to go to trial unless something really big happens between now and then. Uh, a lot of things can happen between now and then because these are still not murder charges. And we do think murder charges are pending. And that's the work that's being done right now is to try to, um, you know, put murder charges on him and also his wife, Lori Ballow, the mother of the children. So a lot can happen between now and then. Lori's uh, arraignment in district court is coming up on September 10th. We suspect that it will go exactly the same way as Chad's did, but we will certainly report that to you. But that's kind of where things went. You know, he sat in court with his resting toad face as he is known to do and there was very little um communication in this hearing it was a zoom meeting and it really was just very quick and cut and dried so but we do know he's now in district court and being held over for potentially that three-week trial in january okay so another case that we have covered recently that has come out with some really good news has happened here that I wanted to share. This is in the Alyssa Turney case. And if you look back in our videos, you'll find we have covered the Alyssa Turney case in the past. Uh, fantastically, her stepfather slash adoptive father has, Michael Turney, has finally been arrested for her murder. 
Now, interestingly, her body has not been found, but her sister Sarah has been on an absolute crusade to get him arrested. She absolutely believes that he killed Alyssa and she's been missing since 2001. And she has, he went to jail in 2010 for guns and explosives and stuff and got out in 2017. And ever since they have, uh, she has been on an absolute crusade to get him charged with Alyssa's death. They 100% believe that he was involved and that he lied. Please go watch our episode on Alyssa Turney so that you can hear the whole story. But he made up a whole bunch of stuff that was completely untrue. And and Alyssa literally just vanished into thin air with some very sketchy evidence as to where she went, which she never did turn up supposedly where she went. So uh, Sarah, Alyssa's younger sister, did start her own podcast. It's called Voices for Justice. And she used it as a platform to discuss Alyssa's case and has been fighting for this for many years and he has finally been arrested for her murder. So this is really good news. It's at least some kind of outcome for her, you know, at least there's some justice in, in the true crime world. I sometimes I feel like, you know, all we do is talk about the bad things that happened and getting at least some justice, you know, we're not to a point of being able to prevent this stuff, unfortunately, but we can at least, get some justice for this girl. So I'm very pleased by that. So those are two cases that we have covered. Uh, And, and so I thought there were a few others I wanted to share with you. This one is a really, really interesting one. I, you, you've probably heard about it. Uh, Yasser Syed. um, He has been on the run since 2008. So in 2008, his daughters, Amina and Sarah, they were 17 and 18 were found shot to death in his taxi. The thinking is that he was unhappy with them and their teenage behavior and that they were somehow bringing dishonor upon him and that he shot and killed them both. He has been on the run since then, 2008. No, sorry, not 2008. Yes, 2008, sorry. Um, The police have always suspected him. He has been a fugitive ever since then. It's taken 12 years to find him, but they finally did. And he is in federal custody and will be transferred to Dallas where this crime happened. But it's great news. If you remember this story, it was absolutely, I remember how shocking and horrifying it was to think that a father could do that to his own children. But I'm grateful that he's off the streets and has been found in order to get some justice for his daughters and hopefully protect anyone else that he might, you know, be thinking of harming. Okay. Another case. This is a case that's in Idaho Falls, Idaho, which is where I live. You may or may not have heard of the Angie Dodge murder. Angie Dodge was raped and murdered in 1996 here in Idaho Falls, Idaho, where I live. A man named Christopher, Christopher Tapp went to prison spent 20 years in prison for her murder. And just a few years ago, he was released and it initially started out as that he was released. um, Just basically they shortened his sentence 
Uh, but there's been a lot of work done, a great deal of work done on the part of Angie Dodge's mother, Christopher Tapp's mother, and others that, that um, brought in, I think, judges for justice. Basically, what they found is that uh, Christopher Tapp's confession was most definitely coerced and suspect. There was absolutely zero f- physical evidence that he committed the crime. At the time, it was a very big deal. So they released him supposedly early, um, didn't vacate his charges at the time, but said that they weren't so sure that he actually killed her. Then, um, using this fantastic familial DNA that we have now, they were able, actually, the police were finally able to identify the DNA in her case because Christopher Tapp's DNA did not match her case. And they found Brian Drips, who was still living in Idaho. He was living away about five hours from here. But he was arrested. And he has been sitting in jail in Bonneville County awaiting trial. So what's happening with Brian Drips right now is that his attorney is trying to get him out on house arrest because of COVID-19. He has uh, congestive heart failure, type 2 diabetes, coronary and coronary artery disease. And so he's high risk for COVID-19. Unfortunately, the jail here in Bonneville County, um, nearly everyone in it has COVID-19. It is as is happening in lots of jails. They're full of COVID-19. And he, his attorney is seeking release home to uh, avoid getting the virus. So this is a really interesting question that's coming up. I know it's coming up in other cases as well, as far as an inmate's rights to safety, as well as the community's rights to safety. And, you know, how do we balance this? You know, what the, uh, the solution that's come back is, well, with this quarantine, and we'll put him in his own, you know, we'll basically put him in solitary so that he's separate from everybody else. Well, Nobody, you know, I, I, that seems reasonable to me. I'm just going to say, I think that's quite reasonable. But his attorney says it isn't and it's violating his constitutional rights. And so anyway, there's a hearing coming up about that. And we will continue to cover it because I think it's really interesting. You know, how do we handle situations like this? You know, one of the things that his defense team has said is, don't you want real justice in this case? If he dies of COVID-19 in jail, then he'll never be convicted, which is kind of an interesting thing for um, a defense team to say. But I don't know. I mean, I'm curious what you all think about this. You know, is it fair to let him out until his till his trial uh, on house arrest? Or is it too little too late? Somebody served 20 years in prison for the crime that he has committed. His her family, Angie Dodge's family, her mother, who actually lives right down the street from me, may finally get some justice in this case. And is it fair to think that after what He's done, although he's not convicted and innocent until proven guilty is the basis of our criminal justice system. So, yeah, I mean, it's a weird, it's a weird, weird question to, to ask and really to think about what do we do in this situation? I I don't know what we do. I really don't, but I'd like to know what you all think about it. And to hear, you know, what you what you have to say about it. But we'll continue to cover that and let you know what happens when when this case, when the hearing goes to court. It's not going to court until September because of COVID-19, because there's it's so rampant in the local jail. And so then they're saying, well, you know, his hearing is taking too long and 
anyway, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a big mess really, but I'm curious about it. You know, where do you, where do we draw the line with somebody like this, who they have DNA evidence? He did actually um, confess after he was arrested and now he's contesting that confession. So it's a big mess. Long time to sort it out. So do they let him go home so that he stays safe or not? Good question. Okay, let's talk about a couple of other updates. Scott Peterson. Ooh, this one. Yikes. Okay, Scott Peterson, you probably remember this case. Very famous. His wife, Lacey Peterson, went missing right around Christmas time in 2002. A few months later, after she'd been looking, after they looked and looked for her, she was, it was in April of 2003. Her body was found. Uh, she was pregnant at the time, of course. And so Scott Peterson was tried and convicted for the deaths, both of his wife and unborn son. Uh, if you recall, a, a, a woman that he, that Scott Peterson was having an affair with finally came forward. And that's really when they were able to move forward on Scott Peterson. So here's what's happened. Scott Peterson was found guilty of first degree murder for Lacey's death and second degree murder of their son, Connor. He was given the death penalty sentenced to death in 2004. So they have contested that uh, to the California Supreme court and the California Supreme court's unanimous recognition that there were errors made on the part of in the judge in jury selection at the time of his trial that were unfair. Now, they're not contesting the actual conviction. He still is convicted. They did not say that he's that he didn't commit the crime. What they're saying is that during jury selection, the judge dismissed people who should not have been dismissed. So they were asking questions like, do you believe in the death penalty or not? And they dismissed people who said, I don't, but I would follow the law. So if that was the law, I would do it. I would, I would vote for it basically. And so they came back and said, that's not fair that those people shouldn't have been dismissed because they potentially could have been on the jury. It's this big procedural mess. There's no question that Scott Peterson killed his wife and son, even in this but because of this, they have vacated the death penalty. So now prosecutors in California have to decide if they are going to try to retry him in order to get the death penalty. And I know that there's a lot of communication going on with Lacey Peterson's family over it. Um, because there is the question about, is it worth it? And this was so long ago. Can they prove it again? What if they don't prove it again? You know, he's going to spend his life in prison. So is that enough or do they need to go forward with it? So it's a, it's a terrible, I think a, a terrible burden really for anybody and a terrible question for anyone to have to answer at this point. I, I don't know what's going to happen in this case. I'm, I'm not going to predict it. I feel like it's really up in the air. I, you know, I, I do really feel like it's probably better to leave it alone. He's convicted. He's staying in prison. Isn't that what really matters? Do you put the family through all of that? Do you put the state through the cost? Do you run the risk of him being exonerated? I mean, I think it's really unlikely, but what if he was? Anyway, lots and lots of questions 
to ask about that. And I just feel like at this point, it would be better to allow sleeping dogs lie, basically. But I'd love to know what you all think about it. So let us know. Do you feel like he should, um, you know, be retried? Or do we just leave this as it is and let it be what it is? Good question. My last update for you tonight is about Joseph D'Angelo, the Golden State Killer. So the Golden State Killer has been on the loose for a very long time, committed at least 50 rapes and at least 13 murders in the 70s and 80s in various parts of California, and was only very recently caught and was tried and convicted. So he was convicted on 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of rape, although he did... As part of his plea deal, he admitted to lots and lots of crimes that he wasn't charged with. A lot of them were past, um, you know, I can't remember the word, you know, too late, basically, to charge him with. Statute of limitations, that's what I'm looking for. But he was convicted. So as part of the plea deal, he was convicted for many, 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 many counts of life in prison but not the death penalty, which I kind of find interesting because he's 74 years old. I mean, either way, it's a death penalty, right? So he had 11 consecutive life without parole sentences, an additional life sentence, and another eight years for those counts. So he'll never get out, but he did not get the death penalty. I don't know. I, all of this feels hard to me because he's 74 years old. If you see pictures of him, he looks like absolute shit. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if he hasn't got cancer or a bad heart or something because he does not look well. He's not going to spend very much time in prison for the absolute terror that he committed in the 20 years that he was active as a rapist and murderer. He's going to get very little, really. I mean, if he lasts two or three years in prison, I'll be surprised looking at him. I think it's unfortunate. You know, I'm glad he was caught. But, you know, I mean, I doubt he would even live long enough to get the death penalty because, well, you know how long it takes. Getting the death penalty is really long. Plus, there's a moratorium on the death penalty in California right now um, on the part of the current governor. And it lasts only as long as this governor is in office. Um, so, I mean, chances are really good that he it would never come up anyway. He's, he's going to die in jail before. One of the things that he did that just grossed me out really bad, let me find it. I want to tell you what he said because he made a statement to his victims, which I kind of think he just shouldn't have or maybe shouldn't have been allowed to. He said... I've listened to all your statements, each one of them, and I am truly sorry to everyone I hurt. I mean, seriously, is that the most hollow apology you've ever heard for the shit that this man has done? It's unbelievable to me. But it's it's really hard in a case like this. Like, I, I'm very glad for um, the families and the victims. I'm very glad for Michelle McNamara. You probably know who she is. She wrote a book. Um about the Golden State Killer, she really, 
she's passed away, but it was her work that really led them to finding him. Like there's, there's good closure here for a lot of people, but the reality of what a small sentence he will serve for what he did is really disheartening to think that he was free for that long before he was found is really pretty shocking. But I'd love to hear what you have to say about it, you know, and and whenever we're, you know, talking true crime cases, when there are convictions, I think it's interesting to have the death penalty conversation about whether you are for or against it. Does it, is it case by case? Do you find that um, in the end, is it ineffective? You know, I've said for a while now that in the Vallow Daybell case, First of all, they won't get the death penalty in Idaho because I really don't think they're going to be able to prove first degree murder. We are a death penalty state, but I don't think they'll get it. And even if they did, and even if they were actually executed, I don't think that's the way to go. I mean, after the things that they've done, maybe what they need to do is suffer. Maybe they need to spend more time in prison. Maybe that's just vindictive of me. I don't know. Curious to hear what you all think about that, because it is a really big question and it does you know, make you wonder about people like the Golden State Killer and Scott Peterson. You know, what do we do with people like that other than just lock them up for life? Is killing them better? Does that make us any better than they are? I don't know. It's a lot. There's a lot of philosophical questions around that. And I'm, I'm always interested to hear what people think about it because I, you know, I don't know that there is a right or wrong answer. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer in every situation. You know what I'm saying? For me, I feel like it depends on the case and on the situation. But I do wish, you know, looking at the uh, Golden State Killer case and looking at the uh, the taxicab killings with Yasser Syed, when people are fugitives for so long and we don't catch them and they get so little time actually as a consequence for what they've done, I don't know. This makes me question. Anyway, that's that's what I have to share with you. We will be back with another brand new episode coming up on Monday. And Katie and I will be back together here live next Wednesday. Please keep your case suggestions coming in our YouTube comments. We really appreciate them. Don't worry if we haven't gotten to a case you suggested yet. We will, of course, suggest to us cold cases because that's what we cover Uh, And if you feel like we haven't done it, you know, say it again. That's fine. If you go look through our YouTube, we have lots of comments. So it takes a while to get through everybody's, but we really do try to cover cases that you ask for. So I appreciate all of you being here with me and participating in this conversation. Please feel free. All the questions I've asked in this episode answer in the comments. I'd love to hear what you all have to say and what you think about it. And you've been here with me, Christy Brower on True Crime Paranormal. Have a good night. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.